if you have your Bibles with you, you can open with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And we'll kind of maybe be jumping around a little bit. Um, last week, we, we talked a little bit about how it's easy for us sometimes to, in our relationship with God, uh, you know, where sometimes we can be so exposed to the message of the cross and even about God to the point that it gets like white noise. It's just something in the background that we no longer notice anymore. And I, I just want to kind of talk about a little bit now creating or, or establishing a sensitive heart towards God. You know, um, when we first moved to Chile, my, my father's always been a soccer fan, okay? I, I grew up in that, and some of my early memories and childhood memories are actually going to a soccer stadium, and we'd have these sunflower seeds, and you just kind of sit there and eat and spit them out all over on the floor, and, you know, it was just a great moment. And uh, as I grew up, then they had bad coffee that you'd drink and, you know, dry squid even, you know, in Spain, and just kind of eat that and just participating in that. And when we first moved to Chile, my dad didn't have any idea, and he shared this testimony of what he was going to do there. So he just started going to soccer games, and there's one soccer player in particular that he kind of kind of liked and was following, and and uh, he, he established kind of a relationship with them. And after that, a cell group started in their apartment, and then a church started geared towards soccer players. And, you know, it, it, a fascinating thing for me was always how my dad could get into the locker room of these soccer players. I mean, he'd just walk up. He wouldn't have any ID or anything like that, no badge, no nothing. And he'd kind of go up to the security guard and just say, you know, I'm, I'm one of the pastors there, and I just want to pray with the players. And they just kind of let him go right through. And there's press, and there's other people that want to go back there, and they wouldn't let them go through. And here I am with my dad, and I get to go to the locker room and, you know, meet with these uh, soccer players and get to hang out with them. And, you know, as, as that began to happen, one of the things that I, I began to notice is how much they began to, they'd always talk about soccer. I guess it's kind of obvious, being soccer players. But, I mean, it, it was just something where at, even at the table we're eating and, and they're talking about soccer, you know, and, and, and just casual conversations, soccer would come up. They talk about games in the past and other World Cups and, and famous players and, and you know, and, and they, they'd just be talking about that. They, they, they'd watch recorded videos of their own games and, and ways that they could improve, and they're like, man, I should have done this here instead of this other thing. And it, it, it was just something that was a complete obsession with them, which, again, I think is, is pretty obvious, right? But the interesting thing that I began to notice is that slowly as they began to give their life over to, to Christ and surrender to him, that the topic of conversation, yeah, it was soccer, but it had to do more with Jesus. You know, it, it just began to change. They began to talk about Christ. They began to talk about what God was maybe speaking to their hearts or, or the opportunity that they had to witness to someone. That God would allow them to use their kind of their platform that they had of, you know, of sports and, and, and being, quote unquote, idolized and all that kind of thing. And how they were able to use that to, to impact little towns and stuff like that. And there began to be a shift that would take place in the conversations that they were having. You know, I, I think that's what Paul is kind of talking about here when we look in Colossians chapter 3. In the first four verses, he, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. It says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, this passage is speaking of what happens at the moment of salvation. In fact, Romans 6 speaks of the moment that, you know, that, 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 that we have died, that we have been crucified with him. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says that I have been crucified with him, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith through him who loved me and gave himself up for me. And, and, and Paul is saying, look, this being the case... 
the fact that you have died and now your life is in Christ or hid with Christ in God, set your mind and your affection and your heart on the things that are above because you're no longer from, dominated from the things that are from below, right? He, he, he's saying, you know, that, 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 that make that your obsession. In other words, just as a soccer player always talks about soccer because that's his life. That's what he dreams, he eats, he sleeps, he breathes soccer. Then as a new believer or as a believer, your obsession should be Jesus. Where you eat, sleep, drink, breathe, think Jesus because it's all about him. In other words, what, you know, where, where, what our hearts dwell on should reflect where we really are from. And, you know, Jesus didn't come just to improve your life. It's not a self-improvement program. He came for a, a life replacement program. In other words, he, he, he took, a, you know, you without any life. You died, and he gave you now a new life, which is Jesus Christ. And another way of understanding this, I think, is through the words of Jesus. And, you know, in the context of Matthew 6.21, he's speaking about finances, and he's talking about money, but it has a broader application. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart um, be also. Now think about that, because notice the order that Jesus is using. He's not saying that where your heart is, that's where your treasure is, right? He's saying what you treasure, or where your treasure is, then that's where your heart will follow. That which you place importance and value and worth is what leads the way for your heart. And what Paul is saying is that since we are no longer from this earth, since we have died and we now have a new life, why spend time focused on those things that are no longer in, I don't know, existence? Those things at which we have died already too. Now, it may not seem like a big deal. I mean, who cares what you really treasure or what you think about? But the importance is that it shows what you really value and what's really governing you. And in fact, whatever occupies your mind the most is your God. That which consumes your thoughts, that which is your obsession, is what you are defining as being reality in your life. You know, in Romans 8, 6, it states that, you know, what you think on produces life or death. It says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. In other words, he's saying that that which dominates your thought can actually affect, you know, your faith. It can affect your life. It can affect your Christian walk, your spirit. So let me ask you this. What, what, what is your dominant thought? I mean, I, I realize that we live, you know, in the real world that we have things that we have to pay and things that we have to do and there's responsibilities and that's fine. But the overarching thought of your life, that, that which just really engages your heart and your mind, what, what, what is it? You know, my daughter is now a little over three weeks and then uh, my son is seven, my oldest daughter is nine. My wife and I are now going through, you know, taking out all those baby books, you know, and the baby whisperer and all this kind of stuff and trying to establish a routine with my daughter and, you know, we're praying that we'll be able to sleep through the night soon and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and, and as I'm reading, I'm beginning to, to just see the different phases of growth and everything like that. And one of the things that I had forgotten about is that there, there, there's an age where as the kids are growing up, it's the early toddler years where their, their favorite words are me and mine, right? How many have been through that? Where everything is about me, that's mine, 
mine. You know, it's like the only word almost that they can say. You know, first they say mom and dad, but then after that it's mine. You know, and that's the most repeated word that they begin to say. And, and, you know, I was reading some of the books and they're saying, well, developmentally, you know, the brain doesn't have the capacity yet at the moment. They're not mature enough to really even begin to understand that there's a greater world that exists outside of themselves. Everything is about me. The, my whole, you know, their whole world is me. I'm at the center of the universe. And, and it, it, you know, it kind of kind of reminds me a little bit, though, of, of people that have outgrown their toddler years, uh, not have, have not necessarily grown, outgrown that, that kind of thinking. You know, where everything is about me and everything is about mine. You know, don't touch. It's kind of a, a Charlie Sheen syndrome. I don't know if you guys have seen that in the news, you know, where, where everything's about me. I'm a winner. You know, I've got tiger blood and Adonis blood and everything revolves around me and, and my universe. And in my universe, everything is perfect and everything has to do with me. And, you know, of course, everybody's watching and the ratings are high because it's, it's me, you know. And if I'm on the set, then it's millions of dollars just immediately, you know, just because I'm there. Everything has to do with me. And, and it, it, it's interesting because I can come to Christ and, and, and be even more selfish than I was before I came to Christ. And then everything becomes about me and mine. Everything becomes about, you know, God bless me. God, you know, uh, it, I don't know, make me have, help me have a better day. Help me have a better day tomorrow than I did today. And then when things don't turn out the way that we think, we throw a tantrum, right? Because it's, it's me. It, it's mine. It's a toddler stage kind of faith. And then our thinking revolves, all we think about is ourselves, and that's how we begin to see the world. It's all about me. It's all about mine. And then, and then we wonder why, you know, I don't know, like we don't realize that our faith is really to make an impact and touch the lives that surround us. We, we, we haven't even gotten past the stage where just Paul said that, hey, you died. Your life is now hid with Christ in God. It, it's, it's no longer about you. It's about who's living in you and manifesting his life through you. And so then, you know, the, the, Paul is just stating that since we have died, begin to act like that's really the reality in your life and place your treasure. In fact, just value what Christ has done. Value the cross. Value what the word says and, and make that your treasure and you will find that your heart will follow after that. Because your life isn't down here anymore. You're in a different kingdom now. You're adopted into a different family. Your lineage has changed. Uh, you've taken on not, not only just new responsibilities, but also new privileges. It, there has been a change in your life. The old has passed. The new has come. And so what you think about and what you talk about should reflect that. You know, when you, when you think about it, Really, I mean, that, that's one of the ways that we really develop strong faith, right? It's, it's faith that, that, that prevails, faith that, that, that is able to weather the storm. You know, Abraham, when we look, for example, in, in Hebrews 11, you know, Abraham is called to leave uh, the country where he's at and to leave everything behind, and he's going to a place where he doesn't even know where he's going until God says, okay, you, you, you've reached, you know, your destiny and where you're supposed to reach or your destination. And, and he left everything, and he, but he did not see the promise fulfilled in his lifetime. It was his descendants that occupied that land that God had promised him. So how did he remain faithful for over about 100 years? Just staying there constant without having seen necessarily the promise fulfilled in his own lifetime. How, 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 you know, what was his secret? 
And, and we find in Hebrews 11, in, chapter, in, in verses 13 through 16, I don't know if I have the slides for this, but, but I'll read it. But listen, and, and this is something that we find consistently throughout Scripture. Listen to this. He goes, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting, you know, it's what they're talking, that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Had they been thinking about what they, were left, what they left behind, had that been the dominant thought in their life, they would have found excuses to return from the place where, they, where God had called them. There are moments where God asks you to take steps of faith. And it takes faith to actually take that step. But then there's also faith that keeps you where you took that step too. Does that make sense? And it's a lot of times people will take steps of faith and then they'll take a few steps back. Because why? Because they're constantly thinking of what they've left behind. The dominant thought isn't the promise that God has given them. The dominant thought is what they've left behind or the price that they've paid, quote unquote. But you know, this is what we begin to see even in, in, in Abraham is that he remained faithful because he reminded himself of the reality of God and his promise. That's how he remained faithful for 100 years. His thoughts reflected God. His, his words echoed God's words. His, his whole world had to do with God. And it's something that we find over and over in Scripture and something that we find even with martyrs in the early history church and even to this day. Some of them were able to give their lives with joy because their mind was set, their eye, their heart, their treasure, what they valued was set on the things of heaven. And that's how they're even early, the early church. People would come in and confiscate their homes, you know, to confiscate their checking accounts, take away their jobs. And they're like, fine. They had joy in the process of all this. Why? How can they have joy? I mean, you know, you think, like, that's just crazy. And it's just simply because they lived in a greater reality. They lived in what was really real. And that's how they were able to maintain faithfulness and remain faithful. That's how they were able to even remain sensitive to God. It's because the dominant obsession of their lives was God. It, was, it wasn't just something that they had to do. It was, just, it was a passion that, they, that just consumed them about God and his word and his promise. Now, now just think about this for, with me for a moment. I mean, if, if, if I'm always just thinking about how horrible my situation is and how negative my situation is and how I'll never be able to get ahead in this situation and how the finances won't come through and, and just the worst case scenario, and if that's all I think about, why would I expect to have peace if that's the dominant thought of my life? If, if, if I'm, what I'm watching on TV is just murders and, 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 and sex and, and, and revenge and anger and, and violence, uh, you know, and that, if that's all I watch hour after hour throughout the week, why would I be surprised if I have weak faith at the moment that I need it the most in facing a situation? When my dominant thought has been all that other stuff. If, if I'm only thinking about God once a week, you know, when I'm in church or maybe when I'm in some kind of emergency, how can I really say that I have surrendered my life to him? 
no wonder for many their faith doesn't seem real. It, it's, it's not what they treasure. They treasure other things above what God has spoken. And in fact, many fall into the same uh, cycle of defeat. And let me tell you why. It's because they do not treasure what God has already said about them above what they're actually living in the situation. In other words, what they face seems so much more real than what God has spoken over them. And so God has spoken freedom, but we go, yeah, but I don't feel free. And that feeling becomes the dominant thought. Well, I'm, I don't feel free, so I must not be free. And, 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 you know, God has said, no, I've established freedom. Jesus paid the price for that. But the dominant thought is this other thing. So I will never see that freedom that God has already given me because I'm always thinking about the fact that I'm in bondage. And if that's my dominant thought, then I'm going to begin acting that out. It will affect my life, as Romans 8, 6 was saying. It produces death. It's set on the fleshly things. It's even the sensual things. You know, the things that I can sense and feel. Instead of putting a value in treasuring what God has spoken about me, whether I feel it or I don't, whether I see it right now as being actually true or not, it's placing my heart, my treasure in what God has said and already done through Jesus Christ. When I begin to do that, then I will begin to move in to victory. You know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's an interesting thing because that which I really focus my thought and attention on is going to manifest itself in some way or another. It's going to come out of your mouth in some way. You're going to be talking about it. It's going to manifest itself. It's going to produce some kind of fruit, that which is really your obsession. It'll create something in your life, whether for good or for bad. And it's interesting that at times we want people to be excited about a God that we're not even passionate about. You know, people, people know, people, people see, you know. And if you're not passionate about God, why should they? Why should they even care? If you're not living in the reality of who God is in his word and his promises, then why should they believe that there's something more? You're just like them. You just play pretend. You know, it's like, it's like the daughter that was coming up to the parents and, and, and you know, uh, after the, the parents were putting her to bed and it was around Christmas time and, and you know, they're talking about Jesus and all that. And she goes, you know, she, she had like this great revelation that, that Jesus was just like Santa Claus. You know, she just merged the two. Like, it was just kind of like this fantasy thing. And the parents were just like, oh, my goodness. You know, we've got we to gotta remedy this here and, you know, and make sure that she understands the reality of who Jesus really is. But a lot of times we live as though it was just simply a fantasy. We live our life however we want to live it. But our thoughts and our heart, our treasure is not with God. It's with other things. It's either with ourselves it's focused on our own pleasure. It's focused on, on our own future. It, it's focused just around us instead of being focused on him. And Paul is trying to tell the Colossians, hey, wake up. You died. Your life is now hid with Christ in God. Therefore, set your mind on the things above. You know, set your treasure. Make that be the value, that which, that which is the focus and obsession of your life. Let it be that. And then if you read on in the verses 5 and on, it says, then it's talking about, hey, stop sinning, stop doing this, stop doing that. But it's all based on the reality of like, look, your life, you've died. Your life is now hid with Christ and God. Now set your mind and your affection, your, your heart on the things above. And then he says, stop sinning and doing all the rest of the stuff. He first wants to make sure that he establishes what their mind is really consumed with and thought of and thinking of. And make sure that it's based and grounded on the reality of who God is and of his word and his promises. He, he wants them 
to be obsessed with God and passionate about God. And you know what? If you're obsessed and passionate with God, it's going to come out. It's going to show itself in some way. You're going to talk about it. You're going to think about it. You'll be in the same situation that other people are in. You're going to be facing the same obstacles, but there's going to be a difference in your life because your mind isn't dwelling on that. It's dwelling on the greater reality of who God is and what he has spoken to your heart and his promises through his word. Let me tell you something. That's what we are called to do. Our life isn't down here. Our life is already up there. And now we are called to live like that. But what you focus your mind on is what's going to really produce results, whether it be good or bad. Some years ago, my, my wife and I were, were missionaries in Chile for some time, and uh, we were pastoring two churches at the same time. One of them was kind of out in a rural area, and so we'd go on Sunday nights, and afterwards, we, we'd try to connect with people, and we'd go to their houses and eat and stuff like that. And uh, so we're at this, at this guy's house, and, and, and we're, we're, we're eating, and we're, we're, we're talking, and, and uh, he, he brings up during the dinner that, that his, his son is, uh, I think he was like five or six, is having nightmares at night and just wakes up screaming in cold sweat. And uh, if I could pray for him, you know. And so I, um, I, I, I started kind of praying under my breath and kind of asking God for, for just discernment. And, you know, it was just like some kind of demon thing, demonic thing. And, and kind of the area where they were living in, there, there was a lot of that just, you know, there's witchcraft and witch doctors, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, tr- I'm trying to discern what, what, what it is exactly that we're dealing with. And as I'm praying and just kind of asking God for that and just for discernment on that and wisdom on what to do, I'm, I'm glancing around the house and my, and my eyes land on the trilogy of the movie Aliens. You guys remember that? I think it was in the 80s, right, where the little, you know, animals coming out of their stomachs and stuff like that. And, and it just kind of dawned on me to think of like, hey, you know, I noticed you got those movies there. And he's like, yeah. I said, have you been watching that recently? He's like, yeah. I said, have, has your son been watching the movie too? He's like, yeah. Yeah, we just, you know, we eat. And, you know, sometimes before bed we watch a movie. And for some reason he, he thought it was okay, you know, watch Aliens with his, uh, you know, his little toddler boy. And, and I just kind of thought, well, you know what, that, that may be the problem. You know, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not a prophet or anything, but maybe... He's, he's, he's watching this movie about aliens and, and you know, and, and he's even eating while he's watching it and, and uh, about these aliens bursting out of people's stomachs and everything like that. And, and then that's kind of like the last thought in his mind before he goes to sleep. Just maybe that might be the cause of his nightmares and his fear and cold sweat and everything. And, you know, guys, it was a miracle because after, you know, not allowing him to watch that, the nightmares went away. No more cold sweat. You know, Miracle. Wow, you know, great discernment there. The point is this, is that what that little boy, (laughs) his last thoughts at the night, what he was thinking about, found a way of manifesting itself in some way or another. He became more fearful in the night. He couldn't sleep in the dark. In fact, it began to affect him even at school in different areas. He became a lot more timid and shy, had more feared, you know, issues that he had to deal with and kind of prayed and and were able to kind of, you know, break that and change change that, but the point of the matter is that what that little kid, what he was thinking about, what he was dominated by, is what actually was producing results in his life. And see, with th- th- this is the whole point of what Paul is trying to say. is like, look, you need to be passionate in your thoughts, in your life, in your heart, and treasure God above everything else. I mean, j- just make that your obsession. Where, yeah, you can, you can talk and about other stuff, 
you know, about, about what's going on in, you know, in Japan or whatever and around the world and, 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 and current events. But, but ultimately, that the overarching flavor or color of your thoughts is God himself. You know, when I first started dating my wife, I didn't have to read a book or no one had to tell me to think about my wife. It, it just happened naturally. I'd get up in the morning and I was thinking about her. We'd write letters. I know it was kind of before the time where internet was very popular. I know it's crazy to think uh, about, but uh, we'd write letters every single day, you know, and make up little poems and stuff like that. And it was just the dominant thought of my life, just thinking about her. Then after we got married, still think about her. No one has to come and tell me, hey, you should think about your wife, you know. You should love her. Might be a good idea. You know, I didn't have to read a book about, you know, think about your wife. If you're married, you should probably think about the other person that you're married to. You know, you might want to do that. Might be helpful in your relationship, you know. I, I didn't have to read anything like that. I didn't have to get some great revelation. It's just something that happened naturally. And let me tell you something. that, that when, as, as we make God our obsession and our passion and our focus, and as we treasure him above everything else, no one's going to have to come to you and say, you know, you should be thinking about God. You should probably just, I don't know, daydream about him once in a while. Just think about him. Just dwell on who he is and his beauty, his majesty. No one's going to have to do that. It'll come naturally because where your treasure is, there also will be your heart. So, so let, me, let me just ask you this. What, what is the dominant thought of your life. I mean, if you could just whittle it down to one thing, one sentence, one phrase, what would it be? You know, for most people, I, I, you know, it wouldn't be sin or anything like that, you know. It would be good things. But what Paul is kind of trying to hammer in into our brains is the fact that we should be thinking about that which is most real. And he's saying... What God has done in you is really real. God himself is really real. He is reality, and he is what defines reality. So the overarching obsession and thought of your life should be him. Where is your treasure? What, what is it that you treasure? You know, I had to ask myself the same question through this. Because there's times where I, I feel that maybe, I don't know, my obsession, my passion is something else, somewhere else. Sometimes maybe, you know, to be honest, it's sometimes maybe trying to be a better person in ministry and, and, and maybe it's, you know, trying to reach or, you know, thinking of these goals or things that I feel that I need to do. And, and sometimes I get so caught up in those very things that I lose sight of the one I'm doing it for. Those are the moments that I just need to bring my heart back. You know, and as we were singing before, the riches of your love is always enough, you know, and just, just kind of come back and just think about that and just think about him. And, and man, it just becomes easy again to think about him and to be obsessed with him and passionate about him. You know, that, that which we're really passionate about is going to show itself. Your friends will know what you're really passionate about. Your family will know what you're really obsessed with. And I just encourage you to make God 
your central passion and obsession because he is what's really real. In fact, that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to remind us all the words that Jesus has spoken of, actually to point to Jesus. So in fact, why don't we just do this right now? I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes with me for one moment. And I, I'm, I'm just going to ask you to just, let's just do something here. Just, just put your, your, your hand on your heart for me, with me for one moment. You know, I, I know that if I were to say, man, who, who wants, you know, let's, let's be obsessed or passionate with God. I, I know everybody would raise their hand. And I, I just want us to just simply pray something right now. And just in your own words, you know, just making God and just making a declaration. Because obsession will affect your words. It will affect your mouth and how you speak and what you say and, and what you do and, you know, and what you dream about. So let's just, let's just pray right now that God would give us a heart that is just sensitive to him and just completely surrendered with abandon and passion and love for him. Amen. Father, I, I, just, I just thank you for your love, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning, Lord. And there's no one like you, God. And Father, I just pray that you make our hearts just, I don't know, just passionate for you. Lord, that you even open the eyes of our heart and that you open, open I don't know, give us a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better, Father, and that, that as we do, that you would become more and more central to our life, the entire focus of everything that we do and think and say and even, you know, dream and aspire to, Father, may just have everything to do with you. And Father, I just pray that you just plant that in our hearts right now. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you because we know your job is to point us to Christ and to remind us of his words. And we ask that you would do so and keep him central in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you, Jesus. We love you.